You know, back home, we have an old saying. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. <laughs> Humans can be a very depressing people. thousand Narns, all of them, are dead. There's two thousand murders here. No wonder the Narns are after you and anyone close to you. Sometimes we'd find whole villages where the aggression was just too deeply rooted and we had to take it all out. You could, you could see the flames rising up into the night like brilliant flowers embracing the spring. If you see something this big with eight legs coming your way, let me know. I have to kill it before it develops language skills. She is Veer's bride-to-be. Hey, it could be worse. But she's also known as the Butcher of Narn. I have something for you. Junka! On the next Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast, a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. We're a group of newbies who are watching Babylon 5 for the very first time, as well as a bunch of old bees who are watching Babylon 5 for the umpteenth time. And we are here today to provide you with delirium fever and an anarchy of passion every single night as we discuss sick Transit Veer. I'm Scott, and with me is Emily, Blake, Justin, Nicole, Kevin, and Mike. Before we get started with the episode, a reminder to please check out all the links down below. You've got our social media links, including our Twitter, Instagram, uh, threads, which I kind of use every now and then, and Facebook. You also have the link to our merch at Redbubble that you can check out there. And if you want to go all the way and help us out, you can join our Patreon, where we also have a Discord for everyone who does join, regardless of the level that you join at. And if you can support us fully with a Grey Council membership, you can join our list of producers, which are also listed below. So thank you to all of our producers for helping us out. The other way you can help us out is by giving us a review, specifically Apple reviews or what really do help us. We've gotten several over the past few weeks, so thank you for everyone for turning those in. And Blake, I believe you have one for this week. We do. We have another five-star review, which we like these five stars. We actually have a couple five stars, but I can't read one because they included a spoiler in it, so we'll, we'll skip that one. So we're going to go to, this is from X Gator 1996 Having watched the original and then forcing my adult children to watch as well, your podcast is a joyous celebration of B5. I look forward to the honest use of tinfoil hats, changing ships and stands, 
and the making of old ideas new again. I do hope that the newbies will also experience the book collections when they finish the series, as I can only imagine the uproarious reactions to, uh, to reveals yet to come. Thank you for the joy. Thank you for sharing your friendship. And more importantly, thank you for expanding the B5 universe in such a fun direction. Thank you, X-Gator. I want to know what episodes X-Gator has listened to to where it's a joyous celebration. Which <laughs> ones are those, X-Gator? I'm curious. That was sweet. Yeah. That was such that a was sweet butt review. Was sweetest <laughs> review. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, that was a great review. And, and let's be honest, you? maybe some of our reviewers are as drunk as we are at making this. <laughs> you know, whatever it takes to get through an episode, you do it. <laughs> but that's for next week. This week we have Six Transit Veer, which isn't that bad. Okay. So speaking of that, Emily, I believe you have a synopsis for us. I do have a synopsis. Veer returns to B5 to find out his uncle has arranged a marriage for him. Unfortunately for Veer, the pretty face and sweet voice of his betrothed hide a murderous genocidal twat. Delin discovers Sheridan can't cook and makes a toddler-style mess in the kitchen. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Love it. That was fucking epic. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how we topped that. So that's an Indian episode, guys. We're going to go beyond the rim now. You have that's the me. gift of eloquence, and you used it for evil. I love it. <laughs> I usually call this episode, So You Married a Nazi, but I yeah. like yours better. <laughs> Let's go ahead and hear from our newbies. And for those of you who are just joining us, what we're going to do is do our first impressions of the episode. And then we'll talk about the episode in total. And then at the end of this, we'll get our questions and predictions from our newbies before we kick them out of the airlock and talk spoilers at the very, very end of the episode. So let's go ahead and do first impressions first from our newbies. And Nicole, go first. All right. So this episode was quite interesting. We have it beginning with Ivanova coming onto the CNC naked in a dream. That was wild. Um, and she's having these, you know, nightmares or dreams or whatever. And um, so that's kind of like, I guess the subplot is that. But for me, first thing off the bat, I noticed is Veer's hair smaller because I feel like his head is smaller. Like, I feel like his hair, the fan is a little smaller. I also feel like Sheridan is a lot grayer based on the discussion he had with Ivanova at breakfast. He just looked grayer. So those are some weird, funny observations and questions I had. Um, but overall, I thought it was a good episode. That lady, twat central, Emily hit it right on the head. Like from the bat, I was like, this bitch is shady. I don't like her. So shady count up one. There was just something about her. She was too eager and too, she was trying too hard. And I didn't like that. So I didn't like her off the, off the jump. I did not expect the twist of what happened to the Narns with uh, Veer kind of ushering them you know, over to Centauri Prime and, you know, all that stuff. And so that was pretty good. That kind of surprised me a little bit. Uh, obviously, you know, I liked the fact that, you know, Sheridan asked Delenn to dinner and she was so cute. She didn't understand that he was asking her on a date like she didn't get it. <laughs> and I thought it was really sweet that he learned how to make her food, even though it was very bad. Not my favorite, but definitely not the worst that we've seen. Justin, first impressions. I actually really enjoyed a Veer-centric episode. I've watched it, what, three times now, and it just was a lot of actually fun to see kind of Veer kind of be the hero of the day and kind of get the attention that he deserves. 100%, you all hit it right on the point about Lindesty. The Lindesty and Veer matchup to me is like Magda Goebbels marrying Oscar Schindler. It's uh, definitely a weird matchup, those two. But one very important revelation that I think is important for this is I, I think I'm officially done with Londo after this episode. I tried to hold out for him. I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt, but 
that one scene where he's justifying the murder of Narns. I'm like, you know what? Done with him. And then the hero of the hour, Abrahamo Laconi, the hero that we need right now. So overall, like the episode, had a good time with it. So for those playing the home game, Londo can drop asteroids on the Narn homeworld, and we're fine. But as soon as he jokes about killing 2,000 Narn, that's the end. Well, in fairness, <laughs> that really wasn't exactly him. He was actually kind of horrified by that. And I do remember a very powerful scene where he's looking out the window He's got a very pained look on his face, which is not meant to be a defense of Londo because he's done some really scummy, awful things. But this is probably the most evil attitude that he's been outward with this bad. So I, I, I get I get where Justin's coming from. Yeah, you, you're completely right. I was thinking the same thing when the episode was going that he's usually like, you know, hesitant about this stuff. He's like, good job, Veer. Next time, put a few more in the oven while you're at it. It's yeah. Emily, first impressions. It was a good episode. And I do like that we learn more about Veer. I absolutely hated Linda Steve from the get go. I don't trust her, but I don't know why yet. And then we find out why. And I was like, mm, yeah, I knew it. She was terrible. We did get to find out more about Centauri mating and the levels. So that was some information. <laughs> <laughs> and another awkward kissing scene this show seems to be full of them i don't know if we have have had a not awkward kiss yet they all seem awkward and uncomfortable and we also find out sheridan can't cook and apparently doesn't know how to cook without making a horrible horrible mess in the kitchen that was terrifying I just and it's hope. just tofu and carrots. Like, it's not anything crazy. But like, looking at the like, dish, I was like... Right? And they had chosen used... in their bowl, and it was, like, spilling all over, and I was just like, oh, my God, this... It, it was triggering some anxiety there. Like, like, how do you use that many pots and pans making tofu, cubes, and carrots? Like, yeah. you had the cookbook. One of these days, you have to make flarn to show Sheridan how it's done. We can look into that. I mean... I'm sure it's in the cookbook. I flarn. think it is. Try to remember... Trying to remember what I did with the file for that, but yes, I have the cookbook. We will figure that out. I still want to know how to make spoo. <laughs> no, you really don't. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> it's at level six. <laughs> it involves, it involves oh, doing oh, things. Oh, oh God. Did anyone that notice then? Did anyone notice when, when when Veer did the whole like, you know, when people come together and then he did his six fingers? Yes. She's like, what do I do? What do I do? She's like, I'm not going to talk to about this. Yeah, that was, was like, classic. I want to go out in airlock now. That was a classic scene. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. Okay, let's go ahead and go to our uh, folks who have watched the entire show before. Mike, first impressions. Well, I mean, this episode starts off with what I believe to be your internal fantasy. Uh, and then... Uh, <laughs> Go on. For, for some of us on this show, uh, we know what's below the belt on that one and above the belt for that matter. And it's not just me. Now I'm really confused. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and then we go to Emily Londo's has seen Ivanova naked. So has Jesse. <laughs> okay. Not send us the photos. I was asked and they, they were told they couldn't Google. Wow. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. Our side chats are righteous. I guess. Uh, share and share alike, sir. Well, anyway. you can Google. <laughs> and then I was going to say something for our friend Ryan to compare Londo's quarters to Australia, but uh, get it? Spiders? 
Okay. Anyway, look, I'm like 40% here. Uh. <laughs> Mike's still on Australian time. Yes. So. Yes, I am. What is it, uh, like four in the morning right now? <laughs> uh, it's 15, 15 hour difference. 17 if you're in New Zealand. So anyway, yeah, uh, I don't know, man. This episode, it's it's pretty good. Uh, I do like it. I do find it absolutely revolting <laughs> just listening to Lindesty, who I'm pretty sure that's a name that real people in like generation z named their children uh and shouldn't um and they act the same uh, way yeah and it's uh it was awful it was awful and it was really well acted honestly which made it even more awful Mm -hmm. and uh yeah kevin first impressions i like this episode quite a bit um the the humor with peter jersik with the the bug hunt and you know the the humor with Vera Nivanova is good stuff. This is all about character development. The the stuff with Sheridan and Ivanova and you know the, the stuff with Veer. I mean, this is it should be no one's surprise that this is Stephen first favorite episode because you know it was it was central to his character um in two different plot points. So um, he really enjoys this one, but um, apparently Peter Jersik likes this one too because he had a really good time with the whole bug hunt thing and was had the whole crew in stitches. So um, yeah, this is a this is a really good episode, if not a little disturbing for a couple of the reasons that have already been stated. Blake, so I like this one. It's it's a bit of a fun episode after some rather heavy ones that we've had. So I did enjoy kind of the comedic moments of it that are mixed into it kind of with a veer centric episode while at the same time managed to yet again give us space nazis so you know there's there's that little lovely reference built in with uh lindesty and all that fun mess so hey that's really this isn't a huge episode by any means so there's not a lot i think to say about it other than just seeing where it fits in just kind of as a little break between what we've just had and some of what's to come and to nicole's point about um Sheridan looking more gray after severed dreams I think I'm more gray so you know it just it was a it was a pretty uh it was a pretty rough patch there from for three episodes so it's no wonder was was that the show or the party at your house uh well yeah true <laughs> we survived mostly did we mostly <laughs> Nicole do you have a retort to Kevin with your hand up no no I actually had to kick it off I had a question slash thought Oh, right, well, you can wait a minute. I will. So, as usual, you all have said most of what I want to say. A couple of things I want to hit on. I really, and you've already said too, as much as we all hate Lindesay and we'll surely talk about Lindesay, I think Carmen Thomas, the actor who plays Lindesay, is she did amazing. The fact if you if you watch this thing, and I always watch for this, she, when she goes into her little diatribes, which she does a couple times in this episode, she never once blinks. It's creepy. Yeah. She's very intense and she's going out of her way to like, I am speaking to you and I am not making this up. This is how I feel. And therefore I am going to intensely stare at you the whole time. I also really enjoy the, just the, the comedic aspect of this. And in fact, you know, Blake had mentioned that there's a couple different ways you can view season three at this point. And one of the reasons is, is because originally the plan was next week's episode, a late delivery from Avalon would play in this slot, but they moved them around because they really wanted a more lighthearted episode 
right after the quadrilogy we just had uh, messages from earth all the way through ceremonies of light and dark so they wanted to put a kind of comedic episode in there and what's not more funny than you know genocide of narn but i mean they really want to have that more lighthearted piece so i appreciate this episode for that as well too so now let's get into the main discussion and nicole you've got some questions yeah so when zach allen came into the cnc she called him sergeant allen has he always been that level or was he promoted recently no, um, he's been that for quite a while. I, I believe the uh, the evil bitch uh, from Nightwatch called him that, too, a couple of times. So okay. he's been like that for a while, in rank at least. Maybe I just never noticed it before, but she specifically, I, I wrote down Sergeant Allen, question mark. But hey, good for him, because he's definitely moving up and, and doing good. So I, I that was just one thing I wanted to... Uh, to ask about and then um i guess kicking it off I, it was really good to have this fun lighthearted veer episode uh with you know the hints of genocide of course but the one thing you said scott about that woman not blinking i also wrote down i think she's trying to steal parts of my soul because it was so creepy the way that she was delivering those messages of like yeah we killed thousands of people on purification and that like so matter-of-factly and like almost trying to sound sweet and it was just very if you if you listen to the tone and you know me being you know in broadcasting so I always I always look at tone and what the message is being delivered right her tone didn't match the delivery of the message she was giving you know and that really fucked with me because one of the biggest things that it's so hard for me not to critique is when people use the wrong tone when they're telling a story like you don't go on the radio and say there was an accident that killed seven people today you know, like there's a way that you deliver that. And the way that she was talking about, we did purification and we killed these many and that. And, and I was like, bitch, you need your head checked. Like she is not. It was so, yeah, hats off to the actress because she really made me fucking hate her and want to punch her in the face. She definitely was very, very talented to, to be able to pull that off because that is is I don't I can't imagine it would be easy to keep a straight face and say those things and like say it the way she did and deliver it the way she did. So mm -hmm. I just kind of wanted to to comment on that because, yeah, I mean, I don't know who she is, but I was like, it's like I hate her, but also like, good for you, girl. You fucking rock it as an actress. Yeah, she definitely has that axe murder vibe going. Well, uh, Mike is flagging me down, so I'm going to go to Mike real quick. But first, rewind, re rewinding a second, I just want to, I know we've hit on this a lot, but you started with Sergeant Allen. They're now getting to a point where they're just giving him little stuff to do when he doesn't even be part of the show because the, the acting is so good with Zach Allen. So I just, I always love to put a point out because... Uh, there's a whole backstory there, and we've talked about it, but the, every time he gets something to do is always fun because he does a great job. Mike? Yeah, I believe the term that Nicole was searching for was icky. <laughs> he made you feel icky. <laughs> uh yeah, uh, everything about her performance was fantastic, and and the 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 thing that came to my mind is this is the way that somebody who has been programmed or brainwashed that's the way that they speak. Yeah, absolute utter conviction in what they're saying and that it's so tonally different than what it in reality is because that is just how they see it well daddy takes her on the murder sprees so she's been indoctrinated by daddy for a long time justin well yeah i mean same thing that you guys are saying like it's it's the total dehu dehumanization of the rhetoric that she's saying which is why she was using terms like calling the herds because 
honestly, her and people like her view the Narns as nothing but animals. So they have, you know, how do you how do you control any animal population? You call the most aggressive and and stuff like that. So, but yeah, once again, one hundred percent on 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 her delivery. What kind of creeped me out more than anything else was the line where. She's like trying to talk Veer into killing this Narn, and she's like, "Oh, well, after a few, it gets a lot easier." Me myself, I've done it hundreds of times, and I was like, "The tee, you know." And it was just like, "Wow, this," you know. I wrote down in my notes, and I even said, "I think I said during my reaction video, you know, bitches be crazy." Like she was, uh, she was definitely out there. But then again, you know, completely uh, props to her, but. Uh, one other thing I wanted to kind of make a point of is um, I know we had a discussion in the last episode about the new uniforms that were kind of revealed at the end of the episode. Still not 100% sure I'm a fan, uh, but after seeing the jumpsuits everyone else is wearing, like the blue jumpsuits in the CIC and the, whatever the green with black vests that security is wearing these days, and I'm like, did the budget get cut in costuming? Like a little bit, but it just, I, I'm still not a hundred percent thrilled with any of the costumes now, but then again, maybe I just need to get reused to it, I guess. Kevin, you have a thought on that? Yeah, I, I really do like these uniforms with one important caveat, which I said I was going to do beyond the rim last week and then promptly forgot. So we'll, we'll just talk about it next week. But, um, the, uniform that zach allen has i thought was absolutely awful i mean it looks it makes him look like he's you know 500 pounds when the actor is definitely not and it just it's it's just a poor design but i really do like the army of light officer uniforms and you know the the other crew uniforms that they unveiled in this one emily okay i'm gonna go back to the linda hate. um yes she was way too convincing in that part, which I think is what really was unsettling. Um, and I know throughout the show, there's been a lot of references to like authoritarian fascism and Nazis specifically. But there was something about the way she was speaking that actually made me think of like Jim Crow era South lynching. Like she would have been at a lynching and would come home and like show you a postcard or like whatever body part she might have like taken as some sort of sick souvenir like that's the vibe i got from her when she was talking about it i'm just like and it was so hard to sit through it and listen to her because ew, i, I don't have another word it was just it was awful but her skill in delivering that was phenomenal because i was way too convinced that she might actually do it icky <laughs> buttholes and icky are mike's two go-tos now justin i mean does anybody else have anything else to say about linda steve before i move on all right nicole i just want to also double down on the fact that how fucked up was it that she caught a narn for him to kill like oh this is my wedding gift to you so you can kill this guy like what the fuck Right, um, like, give me some jewelry, bitch. Like, you know, <laughs> presenting it like it was a dessert. Yeah. Right, it was so <laughs> fucked up. She had training. It's such a shame for Veer because he's such a nice guy that I know. You know, and he, and he's definitely not like minded. So it's definitely not a good match. It's just a shame for Veer. Yeah, unless he can change her mind, but. 
Well, we'll talk about his thoughts on changing his mind. At least I will. Uh, Justin, what do you got? I mean, I was going to actually move on and talk more about Veer in general because from the beginning of the episode, um, you can tell you can definitely tell Veer's got a lot going on in his mind. And what kind of struck me from early on is when he's sitting there, kind of caressing the throne on Centauri Prime, and almost in your mind, you can see him kind of picturing himself sitting in it from dating back from that philosophy, not philosophy, sorry, prophecy of, you know, basically being told he's going to end up being emperor at some point. So spending some alone time with his future uh, seat, you can kind of tell he was kind of digging it. And, um, and then the whole uh, joke thing where, you know, what's worse than an angry, you know, room full of angry Narns, one angry Narn with a key. And then he goes into a whole room full of angry Narns. So it was it was just a very interesting way to kind of open up Veer's storyline. I can go more into the whole comparisons that I have for Veer um, when we get to Justin's historical time uh, later on in the show. But I thought that whole scene was actually kind of very uh, fun to watch at the beginning. What else y'all got? I guess I'll bring it up since we're potentially changing subjects. I want to know two questions for the newbies. One, were you at all thinking that Veer had uh, at least gone out of his way to try to move these Narn off-world just to have them die? Did you ever even think for a moment that was the case? And then, Nicole, it's an audio podcast, but keep shaking your head. Uh, The other piece on there is um, how do you all feel? about at the end, Veer doesn't kick this girl to the curb. By the power of his tentacles or the power of his heart, whichever one you want to believe, he has decided that maybe he can bring her back from the dark side. So actually, I actually wrote a comment on about that. Um, so the first question, uh, I definitely did not think that Veer moved them there to die. The way he described what he was trying to do to Ivanova with the camps, and it was more humane than being on Narn and da da da. I thought that's exactly what was happening. So when they said that they were all listed as dead, I was like, mm, that doesn't seem right. I don't think Veer would do that. Because even though Veer is a Centauri, he clearly doesn't agree with what they're doing. Um, and he's shown sympathy to the Narn before. And then the second comment, I actually wrote that down because at the very end of the episode, he said, all relationships have problems. So I think he is the reverse of dickmatized because that's what happens to women. So I guess he would be, you know, I don't know. Like, yeah. Pussification. Like Pussification. Yeah, he's, six yeah, of he's them. Pussy whip, you know, like six, six pussy whip. Yeah. But I think, I think yeah, I, I, I think that he's maybe that naivete that Lando brought up um, that he maybe is like, oh, well, maybe I can change her. Or again, he's just whooped. You're saying as someone who has dated the person who's batshit crazy, you know, it's not the, you know, logical processing thinking center you're working with when you think yeah, you can see, fix it. This is, yeah. this is, I want to change my question. Okay. So to the newbies for the end of it, was Veer thinking with his tentacles, his heart, or his head when he decided to keep Lyndon Steen around? Uh, we already know Nicole says tentacles and she's tentacles. now giving six fingers at me creepily. So Justin, what do you got? <laughs> well, for the first question, I, I didn't really think like, I was kind of shocked when Ivanova said they're all dead because it doesn't sound like that's something Veer would do. For the second question, though, I, I think he's part of him's thinking with his heart, man. They're 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 both, and this is you know what toxic relationship doesn't have this element of <laughs> Nazi. Both, several both toxic people. relationships yeah. do not have a Nazi. 
Okay, but both <laughs> but both people, notification, I've I've still got comments on that later, but notification set aside. When both people go into a relationship thinking that they can change the other person. And that's exactly what this relationship is. Because even her comments, she still thinks she can bring him around and he thinks that he can bring her around. And I think that's that battle is what's gonna make that is what's interesting their relationship right now is they both still really want to stay in it because they want to save the other person. So she's not going to go anywhere because she thinks she can bring him to her side and vice versa. So it's, it's still, I, I think it's very much a matter of the heart. Like I think he genuinely cares for her. I think part of it is he wants to get beyond one, but at the same time, I think a lot of it with beer, like a lot of things he does is from the heart. He wants to get past from first base. I, I, no, I think not first base, just one. Oh, I know, I know, I know. You know, because unfortunately, many men suffer from premature whatever that is. And <laughs> is can't there get a past Centauri one. version of him so he can get on? I guess pro- it must be kind of make him go a little bit longer. Maybe he can get to three next time. I don't know. You, you know you've come to a Grey 17 podcast because sooner or later we're going to talk tentacle porn. It's just going to... Paralyzed tentacle porn. <laughs> at, okay. least at least no one has started season. diagramming. Oh, we diagrammed yet. You can we actually join did. our Patreon and get a copy of the last yeah, diagram. We already did. It's Emily, if you'd like to start sketching. <laughs> but for Christ's sake, I was sitting there watching the episode the first time, and when I got to that scene, I'm like, oh my God, we're going to talk so much about this shit. Like, I knew it going forward. Like, okay, here's what the majority of our conversation Sunday is going to look like about Centauri six dicks and, you know, how many it takes to get to the creamy center of a Tootsie Roll pop. Okay. I'd say well, two two things. One, I'm surprised that none of you latched on to, to Veer's hand motion with the interlocked fingers. You definitely it's, weren't listening it's probably, to me about- an actual representation of the question y'all have been asking for like fucking two seasons now. Remember when Mike said he was only 40% here? He missed it when I brought that up like 20 minutes no, ago. No, no, I, I did, but you didn't go deep enough. Oh, neither did Veer, wah, obviously. Wah, 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 yeah. and, secondly, and secondly, he was 100% thinking with his little kodos. He was just like, he was like, girl, you messed up, but that head is so smooth. Jesus. <laughs> Okay, so like is 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 one like the like the like the Centauri version of just Jizz in my pants song? Like over the clothes Jizz in my pants. Like... That's dry humping right there in number one. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, do you have anything else you want to add? Yeah, actually. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so what was the first question I'm supposed to answer? Did oh, you ever think that Veer was actually getting these guys killed? Was it ever because no. like it's supposed to be a shocker, and I don't know if it is. And two uh, is uh, it uh, is his he heart, his mind, or his little kodos? Um, no, I didn't think he was sending them off to be killed. And I, f- I was thinking if he sent them there and something bad happened that was never his intent, and maybe he was being manipulated in a situation. So I wasn't quite sure, but I knew he wasn't going to be doing anything that would be intentionally harmful. Um, as for him and the evil one, he tried to help Londo become better. So I kind of see it as he actually thinks he might be able to help her become better. But I, there is definitely an element of his lack of experience with women. And she obviously has some um, solid manipulation skills. 
so I am worried about him. So I think it's actually a mix. I think he does want her to be better, and um, she's probably not going to come around for that. So you would say he's kissing with his eyes open while his tentacles are prepared. <laughs> Something like that. Okay. What else we got, guys? Yeah, wasn't that Lady Madeira's uh, prophecy? <laughs> <laughs> Which prophecy was that? that cannot <laughs> the, see. The, the eye that cannot see? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that comes later. Ah. Yeah. Kevin, we'll you anything you wanted to add? Okay. <laughs> but I want to know, how do they number them? Like one through six. Like, can any of the six be number one? At no. Any- I mean, I mean, hold I'm on. Sure hold on. Nerve or maybe not talking about dicks, but like, you got a favorite. Be real. <laughs> what? You got a favorite one. <laughs> How many dicks do you have? No, I don't want to know. I said, I don't want to know. <laughs> All right. But like, do they start counting on the like upper left, upper right? How? <laughs> it's like a butterfly ballad. I'm Boomer sure. oops. <laughs> Now I know what Mike Centauri cosplay looks like, and it's frightening. <laughs> Somebody has to do that. Go out and buy the big old uh, Londo coat, but we have to put like cardboard tentacles coming oh, out. Man. Oh yeah. So which tentacle did Londo use to play poker? Was it number one or number six? Well, I hope it was number one because when that thing got smashed and cold, I mean, it's gonna be rough if it's number six. <laughs> Because they say the higher values the, the have delicate. more sensitivity. Yeah, I would do the delicate work with number six. Yeah. So maybe it's one of the more adept ones, but not number six. <laughs> maybe like number four. You gotta go for number three because it's right in the middle. It can do the delicate work of the card. Oh, God. Mm. Kevin, what do you got? <laughs> uh, at this point, uh, no, what I was going to say was, you know, I think it's pretty clear that he is thinking about his lack of prospects and, and experience and thinking with his little kodos. But, um, you know, even if he does believe there's a chance that he can change her mind, does he really have a choice? You know, his uncle uh, arranged this. His uncle is the head of the family, it sounds like. So my guess is he probably doesn't have the ability to uh, get out of the get out of the marriage, even if you wanted to. Anything else on Linda C and Veer we want to talk about? There really no, is just Veer. There really isn't a, a B plot. So Justin, you got more on Veer you want to talk about? Well, and that's so a statement and a question. One thing I picked up, like during the whole breakdown of Veer's reasons and what he was doing with the Nards and everything like that. Like falsifying records, hiding hiding people in the factories and having them work. And it's specifically like him feeling like he had to do something and expressing regret for not doing more did really kind of drop a lot of vibes regarding the story of Oscar Schindler and what he did during World War II. And I didn't know if that if JMS ever wrote anything or said anything about any kind of like Schindler comparisons between you know, with Veer or anything like that, or if anybody had any information, because just it's really just spot on how those two characters, one of them being a real person, the other one being a character, but almost how they went out of their way at what ends up being great personal expense to save a bunch of people that everyone else is committing to wiping off the world. So I didn't know if there was any information on that from anybody. Me personally, I'm not aware of any, but I know that JMS really likes the Veer character and, um, you know, goes out of his way to say how, how, you know, good a heart he has. So 
it wouldn't surprise me if that was something that JMS thought of when he was writing the character. And I had the same thought you did, Justin, but I, I'm not aware of anything specific that he ever said or anything. Okay. Yeah, I, haven't I was seen just any, curious. I haven't seen anything specific on Stephen first, but JMS has said many times that he, he does the broad brush strokes. He knows where the story's going, but the characters in his head as he's writing will say their own lines, will do their own things. And he just lets them carry out the story as they will. And he puts a pen to paper. So I'm sure as Veer became more of an interesting character, it kind of built on itself as Veer's talking in JMS's head and he's writing it down as a script. But yeah, that's all I had to say about that because it was, like I said, just the similarities were striking. So I was curious if there was any, you know, Hughes Nets or anything like that that JMS ever said about it, but I guess not. I'm sure somebody in the comments will tell me if I'm wrong. They always do. Nicole! I am so sad that Ivanova basically interrupted Sheridan and Delenn's first kiss. No, Like they were so close. I so happy! <laughs> Emily is still not on the Sheridan Dillon train at all. Absolutely not. Yeah. Well, they were right there. They were so close. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. And then I was like, oh, sad. I really am like really gunning for them now, especially now that he told her that how he felt and stuff like that. And just her reaction when he asked her to dinner, it was so cute. Like she didn't really understand. She's like, well, you're seeing me now. And he's like, no, like I want to see you outside of this. And he made it a point to say it's kind of calm right now. We don't know what crisis is around the corner. And then all of a sudden the whole Veer Londo thing kicks off. So that's kind of funny. I thought also foreshadowing, like you never say it slower. You never say there's no crises because you're going to jinx yourself. Mm -hmm. It is a little unsettling that with the Babcom, they can just, you know, break in at any point like that with video unannounced. That's a little Well, we've already seen Ivanova break in as a hologram the last time this Sheridan was trying to get some booty. So Ivanova just has a way of doing this, Babcom or not. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's kind of a nightmare if you think about it, because I don't even like to answer my phone when people call me for voice stuff. And mm. also playing really right into that same gag that was from Spaceballs, now that I think yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> President Scrooge. <laughs> told you never to call me on this wall. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. Mike, what do you got? Um, okay. So I probably should have said this earlier before we switched gears a little bit, but um, I'll put it out there. I was, by the end of this episode, slightly disappointed. So let me back up. So we we have this whole episode in which we see this plot unfold that, that Veer has executed, right? And it goes from feeling... I don't know, borderline inept. I don't know, not inept. Like it was a small thing. And then you find out it's actually a much bigger thing, a much more serious thing, right? Um, at the end, Londo reprimands him. And I actually was kind of felt like it was remiss that Veer didn't rebuttal against Londo mm. during that whole thing. I kept waiting for the passionate fireback about, you know, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? You, you shouldn't, you didn't used to be this way. And it never came. And I was kind of bummed by that. Yeah, and we kind of got it a few episodes ago where Veer found his six Kodo for at least a little bit. Yeah, uh, he, he kind of just rolled over and took it yeah. in this one, and that didn't feel great. I will say for the newbies, we have, uh, I don't know how many times, but at least three or four times now in Beyond the Rim, we have referenced Abraham Lincoln and the fact that it's coming uh, up with uh, Veer's access to Mimbar, Veer's um, just good heart. And we definitely talked about it when we were discussing uh, several episodes ago where I was asking if Veer was culpable. 
in what Hitlando had done. And so we talked beyond the rim after you guys had left about how even if Veer is culpable, which I still think he is, he's making up for it by working behind the scenes to save as many Narns as he can. So I'm glad you guys have finally seen this episode so we can actually talk about it. The only thing I'll say about that is I think the only reason he didn't speak up is because he knew that he was teetering and if Londo really wanted to destroy his career, it would be over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Justin, what do you got? I mean, didn't Londo kind of destroy his career a little bit? Like he went through the Senate or whatever and pulled some strings. They're going to try and sweep this under the rug, but he lost his damn job over it. Like, and now Londo's going to basically not, you know, for all intents and purposes, hold him captive on B5 and do his best to brainwash him into coming around like it's yeah i mean londo kind of did wreck his career over this whole thing londo didn't have to strip him of his of his position or lando if they really want to sweep this whole thing under the rug and pretend like it didn't happen then londo would have just shipped him back to minbar and made sure that you know they already knew he londo wrote half of the reports like he would just be censoring veer a lot more than he already was so i think i think his career did get kind of ruined above it because now even at the end where they said that the parents of lindesty was trying to get rid of or trying to maybe having second thoughts about the marriage after all because his his station has kind of fallen a little bit so it's yeah he's he's definitely taken a lot of personal loss for this like I mean, he, he lost a position. Yeah, I can see what you're saying there, Justin. But when you look at it, he's still alive. <laughs> you know, they, they didn't ship him off to make a public spectacle out of him for this. Because, I mean, if you look historically, you know, what would have happened to someone like if they were doing this in the Nazi regime and got caught? Oh, they would just disappear. And yeah, you're right. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I they, they the didn't disappear didn't just, as fast. Yeah. And yeah, I think right. some of that was self-preservation for Londo, too, because, you know, Londo elevated him. And so some of it was also space saving for Londo to minimize the fallout as much as he could. Well, remember too, and JMS brought this up in the Usenet to remind people when uh, Veer got sent to Mimbar, Londo flat out told Delenn the reason why there's an opening is because the there was a problem with the last attaché who went out there, and now we hear that the attaché went native. So this is kind of a given thing when you go out to Menbar as a Centauri attaché or ambassador, you you tend to fall into some strange ways of doing things in the light of Centaur. So this may not be this may be normal. I mean, of course, he obviously did a lot to uh, hinder the Narn occupation, but this may just be kind of par for the course when these folks go out to Membar. Mike, what, Because they well, actually achieve an age of reasoning and think for themselves? Maybe. Um, like yeah, that. and I mean, I guess I, it feels like a bit of a reach, but maybe I'm following on to my own comment here with this by saying that this episode actually does end in kind of a peculiar, ambiguous way. Because what we find out is that Londo, to some degree, knows what has happened, and he scolds Veer, and and word gets back to Centaur on to some degree, uh, because of the business with his uh, betrothed. But we also know that Abraham Lincoln still functions. So either Londo knew about it and didn't shut it down, which seems very unlikely to me, because if word of that ever got out, it would reflect even more poorly on Londo. Uh, but uh, but yeah, we know that we know that the jig isn't up, I guess. And so I can kind of see where maybe Veer didn't fight back too hard because he was still had something to protect of his you know mission. Um, but yeah, it does. It just kind of ends in a weird way where we're not exactly sure 
who knows what about the whole Veer situation and the whole Abraham Lincoln situation. Justin? Well, even in the, that final scene in Sheridan's office, they said that Londo doesn't know about that character, doesn't right. know how Veer was was getting these or getting these people off Narn or moving these people. So that's why Vonda wanted to kind of take it over and, you know, continue the practice. So, yeah, honestly, I, I agree with the latter part of your statement, Mike. I think that maybe, yeah, maybe Veer didn't say anything because he didn't want to blow the cover. When you're talking about Ivanova too, I kind of, this, this reminded me this, that scene with Ivanova and Sheridan at the end of the episode is kind of meta for me now. After we interviewed Claudia Christian, she pointed out that for a little bit in season two and season three, she felt as an actor like she was just directing traffic, like she was sitting on CNC directing traffic. And I almost feel like this is a response to that. Like she went to JMS and said, I feel like I have nothing to do. So now she's gone out of her way to say, I want something to do. And Sheridan says, you're in charge of stirring shit up. And so hopefully we'll see more of that. We'll, you'll see when you see. But I, I feel like that is directly related to Claudia Christian wanting more to do and JMS writing it in. Anybody have anything they want to add about the episode before we move into questions and predictions? Okay, can we talk about how awkward the kiss was? Well, Are we talking the, the kiss that didn't happen or the Linda Stevier kiss? No, the Beer and Linda Stee ones. Where she attacks him? Yeah. Is, are we ever going to have a kiss in the series where it's not awkward and uncomfortable or are they just... Some of us feel that the first kiss with Londo was not awkward and uncomfortable, but you're just weird. The man was in love. I think this kiss being awkward and uncomfortable was a, a <laughs> deliberate choice. Because yeah, I mean, it was supposed to be an, an axe murderer. He doesn't like... know that yet. He does not know she's an axe murderer at that moment. Uh, okay. He just knows she's a little cuckoo. Just, yeah. just the whole overattached girlfriend thing. Like, even I, I made a comment in my video or, you know, even in my notes, it's like, do you love me now? Well, not sure. Okay. okay, how about now? Okay, so like, the, so like so like that's even like and yeah, the whole thing about whatever the exact quote in the garden was about anarchy by night or whatever. Anarchy of passion. Anarchy of passion. Thank you. Which I don't but, know how yeah, that it works. Was, but okay. yeah, it was just yeah. I mean, you didn't seem that smart. So okay, so real quick, it, anarchy Justin, of passion is like rolling a d six. Oh, number three. Well, but, yeah, d six. Um, uh, so that's how he numbers his dicks. <laughs> <laughs> we've, got a, we've got a lot of fans who have some really good meme game, and I, to Justin's point, I want you to find a way to make Lindesty the new awkward girlfriend. You know the one I'm talking about where she's yeah, yeah, at the camera, yeah. the webcam girl. I want Lindesty to be the new meme of that. You guys go to work. I know you can get it done. Good job. Nicole, what do you got? Well, I forgot to say this earlier, but her name is fucking stupid. Lindesty, come on, get the hell out of here. The Gen Z um, name. Mike already made that joke. Yeah. I know, it's just fucking terrible. Um, but what I was originally going to say was, um, did anyone else feel like when she came into Londo's quarters and he like welcomed her in and was calling her beautiful? You think he fucked her first or like, I thought he was there. Oh, like, I thought he 100%. It was prima nocte. 100%. Yeah, <laughs> and let's again, Linda Steen knows how Centauri dynamics work. She understands the game. I guarantee you she was playing Londo just as much as Londo was playing her. Yeah. Hundred percent. Okay. She seems like she'd be great for Londo. They'd be one terrible mat like she'd be the fifth horseman of the apocalypse, yes. Uh, icky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say something about Sheridan and Delenn. 
I, I saw I've seen some commentary here and there about not liking, you know, the this episode for their dynamic. And the only thing I'll say about it is that Delenn is not at all knowledgeable about anything related to, you know, human dating or anything like that. So the whole thing, you know, is very sweet and all makes sense to me. And there's one other point. Bruce Boxleitner says that he is also a terrible cook. So this is another one of those situations where, you know, they're uh, projecting onto their character a little bit. Um, he, he says that when he was single, he was just uh, worthless in the in the kitchen and always made a mess, but I've known quite a few people who are good cooks that made a horrible mess in the kitchen. So I don't think it's uh, necessarily uh, just um, sequestered to people who, who aren't, who aren't good cooks, but I also am not the most skilled guy in the world, but I can cook pretty well. The moral of the story is to go out and marry the girl from little house in the prairie and all will be well. Yeah. Okay. That's it reference for a later day newbies right. <laughs> justin well i honestly i thought i thought their whole dynamic of this episode was pretty sweet you know it was i mean sheridan's honestly trying maybe not always succeeding but he was still trying very hard to form some kind of relationship uh with her and i thought the kind of what made me chuckle out loud during that whole dinner scene was when she made him look at the picture against the wall so that she could salt and pepper everything really quick and then actually pretend like she kind of liked it. So honestly, I liked it. It's to me, it's, it's, it's turning into a very cute couple and I dig it. So that actually, that scene was brought up in the Usenets because we had learned that Membari don't lie. And it was pointed out again that Membari can lie when it's protecting the honor of another individual. Delenn's protecting the honor of Sheridan by lying and saying he's a good cook. It's cute. Anything else, guys? If not, we'll go ahead and move into questions and predictions. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, I don't know why, but hell, welcome. Uh, we are going to ask the newbies any lingering questions that they have, as well as any predictions that they have of what will happen next. And then we will kick them out the airlock, and the old bees will answer all those questions and predictions and really annoy the newbies because they can't listen to it for about another year and a half. So with that, we'll go to... Emily first. Well, if she doesn't tell him what, he's a bad cook, then she's setting herself up for having to fake orgasms later if they hook up. Are you trying to tell us something, Emily? No, she was just faking <laughs> enjoying the food. If you're faking enjoying the food. What right? else are you faking? Yeah. Right? I've, it's easier to tell him, you know, it could use a little more salt than, but whatever, her choice, her life. I got nothing. Justin, questions, predictions? Predictions, this was kind of felt like kind of a self-contained episode for me. So I really don't know what kind of predictions I have coming out of this. Um, but some questions is, will Veer bounce back from this? Some of this seems like kind of a power, you know, power play by Londo. They're both going to end up being emperor. They don't know who's going to kill who. So is he trying to knock Veer down a couple pegs? And how will Veer bounce back from this and try to raise his own star and gain the imperial throne? But then also, uh, where how is how's this going to go for Ivanova being the new kind of Babylon Five head sneak? And where is she going to take Abrahamo Laconi? Um, and how far is she going to take it in terms of trying to save Narns? And where are they going to go? You know, are they going to come to B five or is she going to spread them out? you know, among some of the other worlds. I'm kind of curious where she goes with this and, you know, what other sneaky stuff is she going to get involved in? And then um, does Veer and Lindis T actually ever get married? Or does she, like the like like in Happy Days, does she ascend up the stairs never never to be seen again? 
Who knows? My last question, once again, where the fuck is Kosh? We haven't seen Kosh in a long time. I'm getting kind of irritated. I miss my homeboy. I need Kosh back. He's in his ship. Okay. That is all. That is all. And Nicole, questions, predictions. My only question was going to be, what is Veer going to do now? Is he going to be stuck in B5 purgatory or is he going to have another sort of role um, since Lando kind of put the kibosh on him going to Minbar? Um, and then I don't really have any predictions except for maybe, uh, well, we probably haven't seen the last of Linda C, unfortunately. So we might have to deal with her again. Hopefully it's not for quite a while. But how to tell it's a slow episode of Babylon 5 when Grey 17 becomes a conversation about tentacles and dicks? It happens, man. It happens. And I guarantee you, without spoiling anything, it's going to happen at least one more time. I'd be really sad if it didn't. And in this group, it's going to happen more than once. Oh, at Just least because it's there. actually mentioned in an episode. <laughs> so guaranteed at least one more time. Because we bring up Minbari dicks when the Minbari dicks aren't even in the episode. So it's going to be fun. This is who we are. Yeah. Okay, on that note, we'll go ahead and end it there with our newbies. We'll be back next week with them to talk late delivery from Avalon. Until next week, remember to check out all the links down below. Join us on our social media pages. We really do appreciate having conversations with you. Blake and I are pretty active on Twitter. The rest of the gang are active on Facebook. And you can also check us, all of us out. and uh, Not check us out, that'd be weird. But you can also talk with us and a lot of other fans on our Discord if you join the Patreon. And Finally, remember to click all the buttons, the likes, the up arrows, the subscribes. I know only about 50% of you subscribe, so help us out there too. And leave us a review if you can. So until next week, I'm Scott, and with me has been... Emily. Blake. Justin. Nicole. Kevin. And Mike. (laughs) You told me I could insert myself wherever I wanted. And... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Just go right to number six, man. I mean, it's cool. Mike took it up the backside. (laughs) Jesus! God damn it. Thank you for listening to Grey 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash grey17podcast or youtube.com at grey17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. Again, this is a reminder that this is our spoiler section. So if you haven't watched past Sick Transit Veer or don't want to be spoiled for some reason or another, leave now. If not, we're going to dive into the questions and uh, predictions, which we only had one prediction from our newbies. But before we do that, guys, I wanted to hit on one point that the newbies didn't catch because, well, they wouldn't yet. And that is the Chancellor, or whatever his title is, his joke about the Narn and what's worse than 200 angry Narn locked in a room a narn with the key and i think personally that is 
absolutely foreshadowing of the rock cried out no hiding place and whenever i hear him say that i'm like oh reef is gonna die it's gonna be great yeah last week when justin said i i wonder if reef actually was uh poison and it doesn't really matter it only matters if Rifa uh thinks he was poisoned it's like well it's not gonna matter at all whether he was gonna get beat to shit Yes. That's how he's going to die. They're, they're going to leave the face, and beyond that, everything else is yours. <laughs> that episode's coming sooner rather than later, and I'm looking forward to it. It's one of the best. But yeah, I just wanted to highlight that. I'm. I just. I always see that as a reference to that. It's like somebody's going to give the Narn the key soon enough. Just wait. Okay, so our questions. Let's talk about Veer first. How does Veer bounce back from this, and will he still be Emperor based on the prophecy if he has no job? Well, it's it's not like it's a permanent, complete, you know, dumping of his of his career. It's going to be a blip on the radar screen. You know, he's going to get stuff to do later on, and it's not really going to matter. Yes, he's still going to be emperor. You know, on the basis of prophecy, it would take this into account. Yeah, and that's the whole thing I was going to say, too, is really, this is what gets him there. If he's not on Londo's coattails and he's not in the room when one... Londo has the scheme to take out the current emperor and Veer does it. And then two, if he's not Veer's uh, right-hand man when, I mean, if he's not Londo's right-hand man when Londo's emperor, he doesn't pick up the emperor title either. So this has to happen for him to be emperor. Good point. Yeah, I mean, and we don't know how much of this actually got back to the Centauri homeworld because Londo is covering his own ass and he's going to be responsible for Veer. It's going to look bad. For him, so. Well, I I as much as I joke about how we give Londo too much credit and the newbie still, although Justin came around finally with this one, uh, I still think Londo partially is going to keep this quiet to protect Veer. Veer is still a little brother slash son to Londo, and he always will be. So, And if you think about it, the, the Lindesay is the only person besides Londo who actually knows anything about what went down. Yeah. Right? And so, mm-hmm. to me, Londo talked to Lindesay's parents in an effort to push her away and out of the picture to keep the whole thing quiet. Uh, there's there's no no chance anyone in the rest of the Centauri government knows anything about what happened. Which goes into our next question. Does Veer and Lindesay actually get married down the road? Your yeah. guess is as good as ours. Yeah. There literally is, a, I cannot find any reference to Lindesay nope. after this episode. Nope. Not even any book references that I was able to find. Yep. This is it. She's done, I think. Which is, you know, honestly, I would have loved... Now, this isn't a Veer-centric show, and he doesn't have a a lot of storylines. He has a few coming up still. I would have loved to see Veer's final determination of if Lindesay can be saved Mm -hmm. and how that worked out. Me too. But we don't get it. Yeah, Lindesay went to the, uh, whatever the Centauri version of Argentina is and changed their name after the war. (laughs) (laughs) Hi to our fans listening in Argentina. She didn't have many acting credits, and I was surprised because, like like you said, I thought she was really good in this episode, but she really hasn't done a ton of work, and she's not active anymore. No, she she did exactly what she needed to do with that character and did it well. Like I said, I always, whenever I watch it, the first thing I always remember when I start watching the episode is that woman doesn't blink once. And it's not because she just, you know, is weird. It's because that's how she's decided to play this character and it works. Moving away from those two, how is Ivanova going to use the head sneak job? And how far will Abraham Lacone be used? 
I'm trying to think. I don't think it comes up again, really. <clears throat> I do yeah. believe there's a reference of still bringing more Narn to the station down the road. I think that's like reference, but that's about it. Yeah. And the head sneak job, really, that turns into her being the voice of the resistance. Mm-hmm. That's going to be her job. Yeah. She's well, good. and it, w- it was good that she was you know, a big part of, you know, the war effort and she got other things to do because I, I have to agree with the actress. She didn't get quite enough to do. And so this episode is good for her, but, you know, being voice of the resistance and then having, having some command authority and being a part of the war effort later on gets her some more and, and the stuff with her and Marcus. The next question. And the last question from our newbies is where the fuck is Kosh? Well, we talked about this last week. You know, there's nothing really for him to do right at the moment because uh, things are quiet anyhow. But, you know, pretty soon he's going to be gearing up with doing some mentoring with Sheridan. I think right now part of why we're not seeing Kosh, I know it's not really saying there, but Kosh needs to let things happen how they need to happen at this point. Because mm-hmm. he, he knows what is coming. He knows the next steps. So he's got to let this happen. Yeah. Before too long, we're going to see the end of this Kosh. So mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see how Justin handles that. Not well, would be my guess. It does give you a, a nice a nice view of this Kosh instead of the overall view of the Vorlons being, you know, cold and uh, calculating and very meddlesome. This Kosh really does redeem himself big time. We're going to see that soon enough. So the only prediction we have is, have we not seen, and we've already answered this, but have we, uh, we have not seen the last of Linda C. So Nicole did her, you know, either she's right or she's wrong. And unfortunately, Nicole, this time it is a big goose egg. You are wrong. We will not see Linda C. again. She go. She go. Uh, to Argentina. So anything else you all want to talk about when it comes to Zick, Sick Transit Theater or that Stephen First episode that I love? Again, reminder to click all the buttons, the likes, the subscribes, everything else. Tell us what you thought about this episode in the comments section. We've got our comments section on Spotify, on YouTube, as well as in our, our listing of social medias. You can join us there. And then next week, we will be back to discuss a late delivery from Avalon, which is Kevin's favorite episode of all time. Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, have a good one, folks. Bye. All right, All right. right gentlemen. Yay! We didn't die. Fun. Do you know that? Do you know that you are smaller than I thought you were? You are smaller. There are more of you. There are more of you. <laughs> <laughs>